Hey, gang, I'm going to give you the professional guidelines and you think about what the profession is. You know, Jeopardy style. Here we go. Abide by the rules, grammatical and otherwise. Show up early and say nothing. Be discreet and neat like a librarian or a well-paid prostitute. Neutral tones set the tone. Breathe quietly or not at all. Apply semicolons sparingly. Do not question convention. Live to type. Don't type to live. Exude femininity in a strictly non-sexual way. No hanky-panky in the workplace or anywhere, ever. Do not aim for perfection. Be perfection. And above all else, keep the secrets to yourself. The question would be, Alex, what is a stenographer? This is Beck Story Stein. Hey, Beck, thank you so much for being here. Hi, Michael. Thanks for having me. So the book is a hit from the corner of the oval already optioned. Am I right? That's right. It's an exciting time. It's going to be a movie. Who plays you? (laughs) It's still in development. Universal Studios has joined forces with Anonymous Production, which did Spotlight and True Detective. And so they're still in development. But I think it'd be fun when it comes to casting to choose someone from Craigslist. I mean, that is the most incredible part of your entire story, how you got the gig. Tell everybody. So in 2012, I was working five part-time jobs in Washington, D.C. I was tutoring. I was teaching. I was working at a coffee shop and I was working at Lululemon. And I thought maybe I should just have one job. And so I thought about going to law school, applied to be a stenographer in a law firm just to get a sense of what it would be like. And Ended up blowing off the interview because my shift at Lululemon ran late. And turns out that job as a stenographer at a law firm that I found on Craigslist was actually a job at the White House. And so the woman wrote back and said, hey, just so you know, you just blew off an interview to work at the White House and travel in Air Force One with the president wherever he goes. Would you like to reconsider? And I said, yes, please. So within a month, I was working at the White House as one of President Obama's stenographers. And within three months, I was flying on Air Force One. When you went back and and reread the Craigslist posting, were there any telltale signs that this was not just a law firm? No, not at all. No, it it just seemed really straightforward. It seemed as boring as the office when I did go in for the interview because I still didn't believe them. And it seemed like, you know, just one more place where people came in and worked for eight hours and ate, you know, a soggy tuna fish sandwich and went home. It was not at all surprising or, you know, there were there were no clues. I had no idea. There have been any number of Obama era authors that I've entertained recently. And I I can't place it may have been David Litt. It may have been Pat Cunan. But somebody else also told me they got the gig through social media. This must have been the way that a lot of jobs were filled in that White House. Um, I'm not sure. So Litt and Pat, who are both really great guys, I worked with both of them. They both were more interested in politics from the get-go. I was mm-hmm. a high school English teacher, and so my job as a stenographer, not only did I find it on Craigslist, but also stenographers were not political. So my boss started under President Reagan, and I was able to carry over into the Trump administration. We were not partisan, per se. And so I think, yeah, I think the beauty of the Obama administration was that they were much more prepared to deal with millennials and how we are so social media driven. But mine was old school Craigslist. 
did you already have the expertise of being able to, to type accurately and rapidly? No, not at all. I mean, I had taught high school English. I'd been an English major in college. So I was like, well, I guess they're going to teach me. And they did. But also, we don't type in real time. We're not court stenographers. So we, I don't know shorthand. I didn't type on a little tiny typewriter. It was much more, it came down to a foot pedal, which allowed us to rewind and fast forward without having to use a mouse. And also just good practice. And we had some shortcuts. But no, I had no previous experience trying to type as a stenographer. My hands start to shake uncontrollably. President Obama is sitting not even four feet away and gives me a quick nod and tight lip smile before beginning his remarks to reporters. This is the first time you're in his presence and acting in the role of a stenographer. Yes, I was ushered into the Oval Office, which was smaller than I thought, but really exciting. And everything was sort of blurry. And all of a sudden, I, as stenographer, I had prime real estate where I got to hold my microphone um, right next to the president behind a lamp. <laughs> Usually in photographs of Oval Office photos, I'm just behind a lamp. You can sort of see the outline of me. Um, and that was the first time that I was in the same room with him. And then even better, the first time that we actually spoke was in a hotel gym. It was like 7 a.m. I had just run a bunch of miles. I was sweating like a pig. And of course, that's when the Secret Service agent gets on the treadmill next to me and says, I thought you'd be faster than that. And I turn to give him some of my mind. And it's not a Secret Service agent. It's actually the president trash talking me at 7 a.m. So I ran out of the room totally mortified. You know, it's it's remarkable just where you got to go and the the way in which you did, meaning on Air Force One and staying at, at, at hotels where the president was staying and so on and so forth. What what was the most outrageous experience? So a couple of different countries we would go to and they actually had built the hotel for the president because he had to travel with this expansive team of Secret Service and staffers. Um, we required a lot, you know, he had to have a secure elevator. And so I remember in Laos, they had built this hotel just for us, which was really bizarre. Like no one had stayed in this room before me. And so like, it was incredible. It was really nice hotel, but also like half the things didn't work. And we were kind of like, Hey, just a pro tip, like the water should run in the, in the bathroom. And it was funny that on that treadmill, I could give like, I could have a coffee table book of treadmills around the world. That one, they had brand new treadmills I had never seen the likes of which before. So I got on the treadmill and was trying to figure it out. And then President Obama got on the treadmill next to mine. And he's like, how do you make this thing work? And I was like, <laughs> oh, it's like a bop it. And I was like, you got to like kind of twist it, turn it, bop it. And he just gave me this look like, oh, my gosh, the stenographer is actually insane. And it turns out it wasn't like a bop it. His machine was just unplugged, which was Beth, also embarrassing. Why, why is it necessary to have you present? Why can't it be done recording and then give you the tapes in the old executive office building and, and let you catch up not having been there? No way. Those recorders are my babies. Those recorders, are, I call them my metallic minions because they were very much they're the stenographer's property. We're protective of them. No one's allowed to touch them. No one's allowed to tamper with them because I don't want anyone meddling with the audio in any way, especially there was a couple of times I would try to give them to another staffer and they would inevitably mess up. And luckily, I always carried two recorders. But it's it's the little details in a recorder that are really so, but, important. But, my, but, mine is, but mine's a mechanical question. In, in other words, is your, your role when you're there in his company more to record or to be typing? No, no, no. In his company, we are just recording. We never right. type 
in the same room as the president. And so we are there sort of to bear witness and to make sure that no one touches our recorders and that what is said is actually said. And then you go back and you prepare what will be the official White House transcript. Exactly. So we type it and we'd make sure there were always two sets of eyes and two sets of ears on everything just to make sure that we had it totally right. And then we'd send it to the press office and the presidential archive. I mean, this this matters to me and to a great extent because I had the privilege of interviewing him on several occasions, twice in the White House, once in the Oval Office and uh, and once in the um, uh, the reception room downstairs with the, the murals, the diplomatic reception room. And so I, I can remember those transcripts. We might well, have met already. So I but I'm, I'm thinking how important it was to me to get the official White House transcript. I can also remember that there were a couple of radio interviews that I did with him where I, I was not in his company. And yet there would be an official White House transcript that would be put out shortly thereafter. That was the work of, of you or someone in the same office. That's right. When you called in um, on a phone interview, we would get the line. We would have a line into that interview. So we would record in our office and we'd hear both sides of it. We'd type up the official transcript. So, yeah, we were in on those calls. Were there ever were there ever any moments where there was controversy as to what was in the transcript and and people challenged whether that had been said? I, of course, am asking this now because I've got Vladimir Putin on the brain and the recent uh, issues where the White House put out a transcript and, and people say this doesn't even match what was said in Helsinki. Right. So what was interesting about that would happen every once in a while where it'd be like, oh, we didn't hear that. And especially if there was a miscommunication. I remember Josh Ernest and Jay Carney, both press secretaries, if they had misspoken, they would come to our office and be like, hey, I know this is what I said, but this is what I meant. Can we release a new transcript where it's very transparent what I said, but also a correction of what I meant? And it was their focus was making sure that it was transparent, what was said, but also just to clarify so there weren't bigger issues. And I think with the Putin thing, what happened was the stenographers often get their audio from WACA, which is the White House Communications Agency. It's military run. And so I think there was just a sad, unfortunate blip in the audio that they received because it was through interpretation. Right. I think it's obvious, but let's also distinguish that. You were a stenographer. You were not an interpreter. There, there have been questions raised recently about the, the one-on-one with Putin when only an interpreter was present, one for our side, one from their side, and people wanted to know, well, what about her notes and so on and so That's not the role you played. That's not the role I played. My sympathy is with her because that is a tough position to be in because her job in that moment is just to be translating in real time. I mean, I can't imagine the pressure And I used to lean over the interpreters during pool sprays in the Oval Office, and their notes are just sort of chicken scratch. They're just trying to keep up with the moment. So, yeah, my sympathies are with her. That's a tough spot to be in. So of all the the, the interesting people that you you got to be present for him meeting, I've already asked you the question about where did you go, but who was the individual that that caused you to say, wow, this is big, this is really cool? (laughs) Well, I'm from Philadelphia, so I got to spend a snow day with Charles Barkley in the White House. And that was really, for me, a very special time. I wrote a whole story about it because it was just like, oh, my gosh, the round mound of rebound just in the right. house right now. So, yeah, he was really special. There were we, you know, it was the president of the United States and it was Barack Obama. So we had a lot of really cool guests. Derek Jeter was another one who sticks out in my mind, not even because I'm a huge baseball fan, but just because he was so kind and respectful to every single person who walked into the room, which is really one of the big 
lessons I took away from my time at the White House was that Barack Obama has time to say hi to everyone and is really kind and respectful. Derek Jeter is the same way. If they can do it, we can all do it. Uh, I thought traveling commando was just a guy thing. I was wrong. Well, I think women wear underwear, too. And so if someone, you know, hypothetically forgot her underwear or packed it prematurely, then, yeah, she's going to have to travel commando with the commander in chief. Hypothetically, of course. Hypothetically. Yeah, I think that would violate the <laughs> hey, I think that would violate the aforementioned rules that I went over at the outset. Well, so I wrote those aforementioned rules um, as part of the prologue of the book because I was such a bad fit as a stenographer. I, I just had a really hard time following those rules, clearly. So if it's your birthday and you are in this role, what is the cool thing you get to do or at least you got to do? So for my 28th birthday, I was blindsided by this amazing opportunity to fly on Marine One, which is president obama or the president's um helicopter and so as part of the traveling team we would often fly in helicopters but i was usually on a nighthawk four which is a big military plane you can barely hear yourself think you definitely can't talk to anyone you're just trying to keep your head on straight and marine one could not be more different it's this it almost feels like driving inside of a car except you're hovering above the earth and it was incredible and insane because President Obama was sitting maybe a foot in front of me. And I thought he was just going to be like, happy birthday, Beck, and then be quiet because we had just had a really long day. And instead, he took the uh, entire helicopter ride to talk to me about meeting Michelle Obama because he figured out my birthday exactly was the day he had met Michelle 24 years earlier. And so I got on the plane and I was super nervous. My hands were shaking. I was freaking out. I was like, don't say anything. Leave him alone. Like, he's just had a really long day. And then we got to talking about Michelle, and I was like, this is so cool that this is your anniversary of when you met. Like, we should drink champagne. And then, of course, he got to make fun of me again. He was like, you come on here all nervous, and within 10 minutes, you're, like, demanding champagne on Marine One. <laughs> right, exactly. Hey, uh, yeah. this, is, this is Meghan Markle stuff. This is like a fairy tale, and you got to live it. Very much so. And I always say the only thing better than the Craigslist Cinderella story of going from an English teacher working five jobs to working in the White House is that then at the end of five years, I got to do what I've always wanted to do, which is write. You know, I never wanted to work in the White House, but since I was a little kid, I've always wanted to write. And so the only, like, that is what is the best part of this whole story is that I got a call when I was typing up a Sean Spicer press briefing of all things. And it was, you got a book deal, you can walk out, and you've typed your last press briefing by Sean Spicer, which so, was a liberating moment. So we're not, we're not giving it all away for free, but when I, when I first received it, before I cracked the cover, and by the way, the book is titled From the Corner of the Oval. Check my Twitter feed. The details are all there. The author is Beck Dory Stein. When I, when I first had the book, before I read it, I thought, okay, must have been a political hire and worked during the course of the Obama years or some portion thereof. But no, you you actually could have remained right through the Trump years. Yes, I could have. And so that was actually my big incentive. I was going to probably stay if Hillary had won. I was interested in seeing what the first female president would do. And the only silver lining, in my opinion, of Trump winning very personally was that it was my 
incentive to get out of there and pursue what I'd always wanted to pursue, which was writing. So it was sort of like, oh, if Trump can win, I can probably write. And this is the time to take myself more seriously. So that was when I was like, I got to get out of here. Because then when he, you know, he had his inauguration speech, that alone, the language was really divisive. I was like, I'm not going to be able to stomach this for very long. Right. There's, I mean, there's a chapter in the book uh, titled Quit This Shit, which I think gives us an insight into your view of the world. Uh, but you saw things in those initial days of the Trump presidency that caused you to question, I guess I'd use the word, the transparency and whether it would be business as it had been conducted on the Obama watch. Right. Everything during the Obama watch, there was it was systematic. There was protocol. Even if there was breaking news, we kind of had a system in place. And when the Trump administration came in, it felt like chaos and it sort of felt like he was feeding off of that chaos. And even my last day at the White House, I had to go around and get signatures. And there's an administrative room in the EEOB where you kind of go and like that's where there's the lost and found in there. And that's where you go if you have computer problems or a parking issue. And so I went in there to get a signature and I knock on the door. It's room one. And I open the door and there's half a dozen people and they have all of these papers scattered all over the floor. It's just pure mayhem. And this woman looks up and she's like, what are you doing here? And I was like, I'm just trying to get signatures. And she was like, get out of here. You can't be in here. And I was like, this is the administrative office. So it was just total chaos. Seemed like there were a lot of secrets. I just did not want to be part of it. Hey, it's a great read. I wish you all good things. And I'm looking forward to seeing the film adaptation. I hope that works for you. Thank you. I do, too. Beck Story Stein, ladies and gentlemen, from the corner of the Oval. Thank you, Beck. Interesting stuff, TC. I know that you're totally into the subject matter. Wow. I'm not just into the subject matter. But I mean, that's what I was going to say. I'm into her story. I'm into her story of sort of falling, falling into it. I mean, there's no other way of saying it. I assumed that she was trained in typing. That's what I'm so amazed at, among many, many other sure. things. Sure. I mean, there, there are... There she has are quite a, a way about her. There are a million court reporters out there, you know, able to take transcription and do that job. I found that to be very unusual as well. But instead, it was an ad in Craigslist. How and it was possible? it was it was for a law firm. And I'm, I'm trying to think, who was it? There was someone else who has been a guest on this program a millennial who had a great gig in the Obama White House and also got the job initially through a social media posting. Of course, it will come to me as soon as I sign off from being on the air today.